If you leave me, I'll fix you. I'll fix it so no man will want you. Hey everybody, welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today I'm going to talk about the case of Dr. Richard Schmidt and Janice Tran. In 1984, Dr. Richard Schmidt was a 36-year-old successful gastroenterologist in Lafayette, Louisiana. He was married and a father of three. He was living the dream. Janice Tran, 21, was a newly graduated nurse when she started working at Lafayette General Hospital, and that's when she met Richard. Janice was also married, and she had an infant son named Justin. Since Richard and Janice were both married, it seems a little unlikely that anything would happen between the two, but she was always attracted to his intelligence and his brilliance as a doctor. It wasn't before long their friendship did turn physical. It even got to the point where they both promised that they would leave their spouse. They were in love. They wanted to start a life together. Janice fulfilled her end of the deal. She moved out and got her own apartment with Justin. Richard, not so much. He kept promising that he was going to leave his wife, but there was always some excuse. But every time she would tell him that, then she wants to be able to see other people too. He would always react with anger and he would threaten her. He was very jealous and controlling. You know, that's such bullshit. Like, you live at home with your wife. You can do it, but I can't. She really did love him. She wanted a family with him. Throughout this affair, by 1989, Janice had had four abortions before giving birth to their son in March of 1991. Richard did the ultimate betrayal because he refused to let Janice put his name on Jeffrey's birth certificate. He did provide financial support for his son, and, you know, he kept giving her the the broken promises that he was going to leave his wife and they were all going to be a family. Sooner or later, it became clear that he never had any plans on leaving his wife. As they say, he wanted his cake and eat it too. He thought he should get the best of both worlds. He told her, I'm not leaving my wife and you're not going to see anybody else. Every time Janice would threaten to leave him, Richard's evil side would come out. He would blackmail her by saying that he would post photos that he took of her, intimate photos. If Janice did go on a date, he would stalk and intimidate the men. That is not okay. You do not have the right to do that. By the summer of 1994, Janice was finally done. She knew we're just going to keep doing this song and dance forever. And she was tired and she wanted to be able to settle down with somebody. She doesn't want to borrow somebody who's already taken. She started seeing a man named Barry, and Barry must have got under Richard's skin because this is when Richard finally moved out and got an apartment. But by July, he was already back with his wife. She said, I'm done, and she ended their 10-year affair. On Forensic Files, she said that she recalled an ominous threat that Richard made that showed her what was to come. He told her, if you leave me, I'll fix you. I'll fix it so no man will want you. She was done with his threats. She was done with his empty promises. And it was time to move on. She didn't care. So she kept dating. 
Now, the problem is Richard was also her primary care doctor. He would come over twice a week to Janice's home and give her vitamin B shots for her fatigue. On the night of August 4th, 1994, Richard called Janice and told her that he was coming over so he could give her a B12 shot. She didn't want the shot. It was in the middle of the night and she didn't need it. She doesn't, she doesn't want anything to do with you. No. Well, the next thing she knows is he's standing over her while she's in bed sleeping. And she's telling him, I don't want the shot. But he insisted. And she can remember feeling the worst pain that she had ever felt before. It was not like any other shot that she's ever had. I mean, what doctor makes nocturnal house calls? After he gave her the shot, he just walked out of the house. She didn't think anything of it other than, damn, that hurt, and she went back to sleep. It wasn't until about six months later when she started developing strange symptoms. January of 1995, Janice was now 32. She had a new boyfriend, Jerry Allen. She started suffering from some eye pain, but it was like that really dull pain behind the eyes. They also found her to have swollen lymph nodes. They suspected that she might have contracted some kind of virus. They decided to run a bunch of tests, try to rule out and figure out what's going on. The test revealed something unexpected and devastating. Janice was pregnant, but she also found out that she was HIV positive. She was beside herself. What do you mean I have HIV? There's no way I have HIV. She had just had an HIV test months back, and that came up negative. What changed? Due to the diagnosis, Janice and Jerry, they made the heartbreaking decision to terminate the pregnancy. After doing some thinking, Janice decided that she needed to tell somebody that she had suspicions about Richard. She's starting to question, what did he give me a shot of? How do I now have HIV? And I mean, obviously, when she went to the police, they were skeptical. Richard was one of the most respected doctors in Lafayette. And her accusation that he would purposely inject her with HIV, that was crazy talk. Who does that? People don't do that. They do have to follow up on it. It's protocol. And they question Richard. His defense was that Janice was a whore. She slept around and she was a drunk. She slept with strange men. That's how she got it. As the police do a little bit more digging, they start piecing together circumstantial evidence that could actually go in Janice's favor. She might not be crazy after all. The fact that Janice had donated blood just a few months before the night that he came and gave her the injection, she was negative. So police were able to conclude that her infection was recent. When they looked at phone records, it did prove that Richard had called Janice on that night of August 4th, like she said he did. And when they went to his office to look around, shit really got real. HIV-tainted blood, it's difficult to obtain because it's only good and potent for 12 hours once it's outside the body. So if Richard did take it from a patient, it had to be the same day he saw Janice. So they know they have to find out who he had in his office that day. Did anybody contain HIV? 
In the patient records, an entry from a 1994 journal led detectives to Don. It was a patient who had full-blown AIDS. When police contacted Don, he told them that out of the blue, the doctor called him and asked him to come into the office to give blood. DNA testing was just starting to transform the criminal justice system. Police hoped that phylogenics, the method of tracing the genetic relationship between two organisms, could also be used to link HIV strands in different individuals. With there being so many different kinds of HIV and AIDS and the different strands, just like everything else, the flu, COVID. So if you could link that that patient has the same strand that Janice has, you know you're in the right spot. So what they decided to do was they took Janice's, they took Don's, and they took 32 other HIV-positive individuals that lived in that area. The test revealed that Don's HIV was near-perfect match to Janice's HIV. And given that HIV DNA mutates constantly, the chances of two samples mutating similarly was one in a million. So they knew they had their guy. In July of 1996, Richard was charged with attempted murder. Just when you thought that this couldn't get more diabolical, you're wrong. At trial... It was revealed that Janice had also contracted hepatitis C around the same time as contracting the HIV. When they ran Don's blood, they noticed that Don did not have hepatitis C. They went back to his patient records and discovered a different patient, Leslie, who did have hepatitis C and who had blood drawn two days before Janice's injection. Both Leslie and Don's samples, they were never sent to a lab. So the whole purpose of them two going in was because he had this diabolical and disturbing plan. He was going to make sure no man wanted her. As if infecting somebody with HIV isn't bad enough, you had to go ahead and add hepatitis C. Leslie also stated that she was also called in by the doctor. So both patients, they didn't even have appointments. He called them in. It doesn't get much colder than that. During trial, Janice testified. She told the jury he didn't keep a lot of promises, but he did keep one. He told her that he would kill her. And that's literally what he did. That's a death sentence. A man named Gene, they had him on the stand He told them that Richard called him on the phone and told him in a very stern tone. Well, he suggested that he not speak with Janice anymore. He said that it was like she was his possession. It was creepy. This case marked the first time in forensic history that viral DNA was used to prove a link between two people with HIV or AIDS in a criminal trial. On October 23, 1998, Richard was convicted of attempted second-degree murder and sentenced to 50 years. He's appealed numerous times without success, and in 2015, after serving 17 years, he was denied parole by the state of Louisiana. 
For him to just sit and expect her to put her life on hold while he played husband with his wife, clear narcissist. The Hippocratic Oath calls upon physicians to do no harm to a patient. Every physician has to take this oath. Every doctor should want to take that oath. You're supposed to get in the medical field to save lives, not end them. I think he's where he belongs. This case kind of reminds me of episode 37, Dr. John Schneeberger. They both use their power to ruin lives, including their own. If you like the show, make sure you're leaving a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. You can also leave a review on Podchaser. Word of mouth, spread the love. Head over to the website at crimeovercocktails.com. You can contact me there via email. You can also listen to the episodes, check out the merch, or become a Patreon and help support the show. There are other ways if you do not want to be a Patreon so you do not have to keep a card on file. Head to the website and it is all there. All right, you guys. I love you. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk crime another time. Bye. Bye.